you know, I'm not cool enough for her and she just wants to hang out with her friends anyway. So, <laughs> Well, I think that playing poker is a pretty cool job and going to Playboy parties, I guess that's not something girls appreciate. Hey everybody, today I've got someone who I actually learned from when I was moving up in the stakes. One of the old school legends of card runners. He's, uh, by the time he graduated high school, apparently he had a $250,000 bankroll and he won the biggest ever session recorded on Full Tilt Poker for $4.2 million. He's got six World Series bracelets and he's also a family man. Uh, and who knows what else he's got going on. Brian Hastings. Dan, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, it's a bit of a, well, I do know, did know you're a family man of sorts, where I did know that you're, like, engaged, basically. Um, I did not know about all your other accomplishments in poker. I didn't know that you, uh, on top of having success at No Limit and PLO, you also had quite a lot of success in the mixed games and, and tournaments. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Well, I've, I've ripped the PPC every time I played it, so I mean, you wouldn't know. But thank you. Oh uh, yeah, PPC specialist. Um, that's <laughs> my my uh, thing. Yeah. So tell me about um, tell me a bit about this high school situation. Is I believe uh, I believe it's true. You've made two hundred fifty thousand dollars by the time you graduated high school. How did this happen? It is true. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like many of our generation, um, you know, I was in high school when the poker boom started, like, you know, Chris Moneymaker winning the main event and all of a sudden the WSOP and WPT were on TV everywhere. And yeah, I just kind of started out by getting together with my high school friends to both like watch some of those broadcasts and then just like play little home games, like, you know, $5 buy-in tournaments and stuff. And then I had actually had a teacher in high school who I found out was having success playing online. Uh, he told me and some friends one day that he had made more money playing online than teaching in the previous year. And I was like, whoa, you can make money doing this like that. Um, so yeah, a few friends tried to put like small amounts of money online. Like in my case, uh, I had a friend deposit with like his mom's credit card and then transfer me $50. That's how I got started. And then I, yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably broke even for the first six to 12 months or so, and then started just running it up really fast after that. And by the time I graduated, it's true. I had about $250,000 on, this was all an ultimate bet uh, at the time. And yeah, then went to college and started writing uh, tuition checks every semester and it, it was cool. All right, nice. Uh, was that No Limit or was it at something else? You're just playing No Limit Heads Up or Ring or what was going on? Um, at that point, it was all No Limit, yeah. Um, a mixture of formats though. I played a little bit of everything really. I played some... Uh, plenty of, I'd say most, mostly cash games at the time, but also some tournaments. Like I, rec I actually recall having a, a tournament win, like a winning like a $10 tournament for 3000. That was like a huge, like bankroll booster at the time. Like when I was like really, you know, playing smaller, trying to run it up. Um, I played like sit and goes too. Like I remember playing like six person, like $200 sit and goes on UB some, um, some heads up, heads up, sit and goes, heads up cash. Just, but all no limit though at that point. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I happen to have a bit of a similar story. It took me about that long to start making some real money. Also, I mean, I broke even. I effectively, I actually got smashed in the beginning. I like um, my my story is a little bit more dramatic. 
uh, by styles, I get smashed a lot in the beginning and end up crushing in the end. Um, but yeah, I, uh, didn't have shit during high school. I can tell you that I, I worked at McDonald's at the end of my first semester in college. Mm. So I had that, uh, badge of, um, life. So when I was first running it up in high school, I was working at little Caesar's pizza at the time as well. And then at one point I had like made enough online. And then I actually started making videos for card runners when I was still like 17 also. So I was like, Oh yeah, mom and dad, I don't need to work at little Caesar's anymore. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about poker is you can you can uh, scale small amounts pretty quickly. That's very unique. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe in dropshipping you can. I don't really know where else. It seems very hard in some other <laughs> areas. Um, so, okay. So, uh, apparently you started off in Mixed and all that. And how did you become a card runner's coach? What's the story behind all of that? Because you must have had quite some success by the time card runners was up and running one of the first um, training sites for poker yeah i think i first got noticed by those guys just because i like i was one of the first members when that when they first launched the site like again i was still probably 16 or something but i joined card runners as, as a member um and i think you know so they kind of like knew my screen name from being a member and then i was like playing in the same games with some some of the card runners like coaches on on ub and doing really well and like so they kind of took notice of me that way um so that's how i first met them and actually yeah i think the first live poker trip i took was going to aruba when i was like a sophomore in college or no i'd been to vegas once before actually but like yeah basically like the, the, the first times i traveled for poker was like with the carter and his crew this is the point oh really um wait to vegas or to aruba uh so right after i turned 18 i actually go to, went to vegas for like a week and like you know they were out there it was during the world series like they were playing some events and stuff but like also just like partying so yeah, I was like, I just came out for a week, played like some online poker in like the house they rented and went out some to like, you know, restaurants and clubs and stuff. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome. I, I ended up going, yeah, uh, first met Doug, my first trip to Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, I ended up uh, meeting Taylor KB, all the card runners guys, and um, we ended up battling, I ended up battling all the card runners guys, and you also, I yes. remember. <laughs> Yeah, back in the day, 5,100, those are the good old days, 100, 200, it was 400, 800 mixed. Uh, but now, we had some battles. Now you're, we're, um, we're podcasting. How about that? Was there like a point where you started to really crush nosebleeds? Was it all just like smooth sailing or did you have any challenges along the way? You just get become a card runner's, um, you know, a card runner's instructor. And then you know, just poker's simple and easy. What's tell us more about the challenges? What uh, what happened in between? Yeah, during my initial time uh, moving up stakes online, I didn't really encounter too much resistance after the first point of like going from breaking even to winning. But once I started moving up stakes, it just felt like it was going really fast. Just you know, moving up from fifty cent a dollar to one two to two four, it just felt like every two or three weeks I was able to move up. Um, Obviously, the games back then were much softer than anybody could fathom to, in today's era. Um, and also, I ran really hot. So those two things help a lot. Um, but yeah, um, it was pretty smooth for me. I don't even remember going up to nosebleeds or anything being like a huge point of resistance. Just kind of kept, you know, moving up one stake to next stake. And it was like relatively smooth a, for a steps while. Steps on anyway. a staircase, right? Just, you know, just walk yeah. up one. Just move up to the next step. Yeah. 
Okay, no downswings. Uh, oh, I have not heard that one before. Um, <laughs> did you ever have downswing? You must have had a downswing at some point. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I had big downswings. Um, yeah, I mean, especially once I started getting into like PLO more and stuff. And yes, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of large downswings at the same times. So tell us the story about this like 4.2 million session. I think it's 4.18 to be precise with this cylinder. Um, yeah, I mean, what was the story leading up to uh, deciding to play them at super high stakes? Uh, whatever details you'd like, your you know, makes sense for you to to say. Uh, was there any like, was it? Do you just think this guy sucked and that was it, or what? Um. So from what, from what I recall, um, maybe like a few months. So the session happened in December of '09. So I was. Squarely mm-hmm. in college, I remember it was uh, during finals week, actually. So I was like studying for finals, but like had the ma- was watching a uh, Cole South play him on online, and I like got on the wait list just in case, just for like you know maybe later. Um, but anyway, back back, back flash uh, a couple months. I remember, yeah, he had kind of emerged on the scene and was just like battling everybody at high stakes, and it was really interesting. I mean, he was playing very aggressively, um, but seemed really tough. Um, I remember one time like October that year, I went to the Playboy Mansion to like some Halloween party with some other poker players, including the Carter and his guys, actually. Um, and like the <laughs> night before we went to the party, I was like, I battled him at like a few tables of heads up. I think it was 100, 200, no limit, actually, uh, if I remember correctly. And like, yeah, I thought he was pretty tough at no limit. So I think I kind of like backed away from him after that at no limit. But like, when I, you know, was playing, I was really confident in myself at PLO at that moment. Like I played Phil Ivy a few times heads up and like held my own and played, you know, you, I, pretty much whoever would challenge me, I guess, a heads up PLO at the, that moment. And yeah, so I felt confident there. And like when I, I think that maybe the first time or two I played him, I thought he was a little bit, you know, seemed relatively newer to PLO and like not as fundamentally sound as it in No Limit. So I felt that was a good spot. And yeah, so that kind of led up to the that night. And like I said, I was just kind of on the wait list studying for finals. And then he had been playing Cole for a few hours prior to the match, I believe. And uh, yeah, him all his week. Cole, Cole, Cole was done. Cole was, Cole needed a break. And so I, yeah, I hopped in. Yeah. He had already, again, he had already been playing. And then um, as far as the match, I just recall the, at the beginning, he was playing pretty tough, I would say, but um, I got like a 10 buy-in lead. So a million playing 500, 1000. And after that, he just went crazy and just started tilting really hard and, you know, three betting a lot of hands and just doing crazy things in general. So, yeah, that's how that went. (laughs) (laughs) You actually caught him right after he smashed me. He smashed me for like 20-something buy-ins in no limit Mm -hmm. of 100 200. I lost like half my roll. So it was like a very like extreme moment, at least for me, and also to witness. um, I mean, I had never seen any win like that myself. Uh, but there's, yeah, I remember specifically that it was kind of a crazy moment. Like you said, he was battling everyone at high stakes, like super high and just like trying to run it up as much as possible. Um, and he always is playing the best of the world at everything. So it's, it's going to be hard to win. Uh, yeah. Like he's certainly a really talented player. It still is. I mean, I actually, I played with him a little bit this year at the world series actually. Um, but uh, yeah, he's super talented player, but yeah, just like with the amount of like hours and game selection he was doing, like, it's just really hard to, you know, sustain that. Were you the best at PLO at that time? Would you say you were in the one of the best in the world? I think so at that time, yeah. 
not even close now. I don't hardly <laughs> play in PLL anymore. But yeah, that, at that time, I was that was my my focus. And I mean, it was really amazing back then too. How if you just sat at like a lot of stakes of heads up PLO, just you know, like because the good players would generally not play me. So like the action I would get when people when I got action was unbelievable usually. Oh, oh, well, how about that? And <laughs> yeah, I remember I got lots of VIPs at um at PLO as well. I mean, I, at some point I had to switch. I mean. It's really important to poker to keep adapting to what's going going on in some kind of way, so that you mm-hmm. can keep making money. Um, and uh, what uh, it seems like you've been playing lots of tournaments since then. You like switched to live poker. Is that what happened afterwards? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a long time between. You know, not, like 2009 was uh, 14 years ago, so there's been a lot of, a lot of time between now and then. But I certainly over time have transition more from cash games to tournaments and more from online to live although i do still play a pretty good amount of online poker actually um so certainly rededicating myself to no limit hold'em a lot after i kind of you know stopped really focusing on that for quite a few years and then what you um uh why no limit um i think availability is a big one i mean for a while like i would I'd say like my main games were mixed and then once there's kind of ceased being like enough good mix action to like really do that <laughs> yeah it just didn't seem like i could just kind of focus on mix anymore i had to like go back and do something else so like like, like you're saying like shifting to the you know what the current climate is so that was a lot of what led me back into no limit and i really do like tournaments i've always liked it but i think i back in the day i was just doing really well at the cash games and never like fully applied myself at tournaments so it's kind of a cool interesting thing to do that and like actually finally really try to learn tournaments the best i can yeah, I do think that there's lots of money in tournaments. Tournaments are going nowhere. That's one thing. Also, that, learning yes. them. That, uh, yeah, as far as actual like feasibility goes long term, tournaments are really a good place to focus on. I personally don't like them very much. If I had to do something, I would do tournaments. But uh, as I would like make sure to play a decent amount, I mean, they're kind of super annoying because you either most of the time you just go nowhere and then occasionally you're like top 3% or whatever it is. And everyone gets all excited and, oh, you could yeah. win, blah, blah, blah. And then you get in, like, fifth and everyone's all upset. And you're upset that you got fifth, even though it's fifth out of, like, you know, 800 people. And and uh, you're like, oh, but it's bittersweet. I didn't win. And bullshit. I, I hear you on that. Yeah, like, I, I enjoy, like, the gameplay of tournaments. Like, I think it's strategically interesting. There's, like, all the different, like, stack sizes and phases of the tournament and all that. But, yeah, like, the results thing where you just kind of, like, you know, run your head against the wall for a while until you occasionally break through with a big score. That that can get tiresome. So, yeah, I mean, recently I've actually been focusing more on cash games, but still playing some tournaments, whereas for a while I was, like, going kind of all out on tournaments. Would you say that any, um, that there are many lessons that you've learned that would apply to today's market or today's group of uh, young players trying to succeed? Uh, how would that look like if you were to do it all over? Because... I mean, I think you would know that it would be a lot harder than it was in the past. And I'm thinking, you know, your track record's very um, successful. I mean, have you had a lot of success at everything, actually? Um, so what, uh, have you considered that? Have you put yourselves in the shoes of up and the inspiring poker player today and what uh, what that path to success might look like? 
Um, yeah, I have thought about that some. And so, yeah, it's to be clear, it's very different. Like there's, there's no, there's my path or Dan's path coming up is just not a, not a thing nowadays. I would say like, there's no, can't just move up stakes every month or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I do think it's more important now than ever to just like specialize, like just pick a format that you really want to get good at and do that. Whereas back in the day, I kind of dabbled in everything a little bit and that like worked out in that climate, but I don't think that's like such a good idea now. Um, yeah, I think just kind of identifying a game, a format that you think works well for you, you know, whether that's no limit tournaments or PLO in general, I guess could be one or I mean, no, no limit cash is, I mean, I, I've personally been diving back into no limit cash a lot recently. And I think that's an interesting one, but like cer there's certain limitations, like for example, you know, live, I mean, it's hard if you get to like any kind of like decently high stakes that games tend to be private. So there's, if the, you know, if, if you're the kind of person who wants to deal with that or not, like, you know, these are all factors, but I mean, I think, yeah, specializing in whatever format you think is right for you and then just like really applying yourself and making sure to, you know, work hard on it and study a lot and find, find a good group of people to talk poker with. These are all important things. With the Discord I am creating, uh, I'm attempting to facilitate a lot of these features. Um, well, the features of like finding group to study with and all of that. Uh, it's not ready yet, but that's one of the things, problems I want to solve because I think it's really important to have someone to study mm -hmm. with. Did you have anyone to study with actually, or you just learned on, on your own? Um, at the time, I mean, there were definitely people I like talk poker with. I wouldn't say it was like, well, I mean, I guess, I guess at some times I was like more heavily into like collaborative study with people like Brian Townsend and Cole South. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, also there were just like a lot of like loose conversations where like, you know, I'd run a hand by a friend on AIM back in the day, RIP. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, it helped me at, at some point in various different kinds of games and all of that, for sure. I uh, I want to say also, I advise something, I would personally think to do something a little bit different, um, in that I think it can be kind of rough to pick a game and focus on it, unless, um, I'm going to point out a couple caveats, uh, but basically... There's a lot of games out there these days that don't necessarily have a lot of money in them. For example, No Limit Heads Up was not nearly as good now as it used to be. Um, I don't necessarily advise going that path. And I think that unless someone like just really loves a certain kind of game for some reason, it's probably a better idea to like... Um, it's actually a very common way to go in many sports. Uh, actually, it's like... In this book called Range, it's uh, referred to as something like the Roger, Roger Federer route. And it's actually a far more common way of success than the Tiger Woods route, which is you just pick something and you just like drill at home. And now you're amazing at it. And you're just like a savant. The the Have you ever read this book, Range, by chance? Uh, I have not, but it sounds interesting. I mean, I'm, big, I'm a big tennis fan and play some. Oh, really? I had no idea. How, how convenient. Mm -hmm. But yeah, basically <laughs> Roger Federer didn't really have a whole lot of success and a lot of avenues. And he just like tried a bunch of things and then finally like picked one. And then that, then he like, um, you know, ran home. And I kind of, I personally would advise something like that with poker, except to look at the profitability of a lot of diff these different games and also like what's available to the players themselves that, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense. It's, it's useful to also try different formats at some point in some kind of way to um, at least to do a little bit, to do like something like market research would be kind of an exaggerated term, but to uh, try to see if there is actually any money in it. I mean, I did a lot of this myself and 
maybe you did it too, but basically to try different uh, formats. For, first of all, because you might learn something in NoLimit. And second of all, or you might learn something in your main game, excuse me. Um, and second of all, because there might be a lot of money in those sorts of games. Um, and um, yeah, basically, I just think it's really dangerous to pigeonhole yourself in one spot. And if you have, you know, a clear looking for all the different opportunities out there, this is a way to really skyrocket your results. And I think it's really necessary these days where, you know, strategy is beaten to death and you just don't want to be battling against, you know, like the, you know, the, the, the perfect players all the time. Um, you want to uh, broaden your horizons a bit. Yeah, I mean, so I'd, I definitely agree with you that at the beginning, at least, I think it's a great idea to like try a bunch of different formats to see what, you know, appeals to you. It's just like, so, you know, so you have a better idea than just like before you like dive in deeper to one of them. Um, yeah, I'm just saying, I guess like it's, I think it's tougher, you know, just like the strategy is so much more advanced now and the good players are so much better now that like it's hard to really like try to fo spread your focus too thinly. And just like, you know, try to oh, yeah, study yeah. several different games at once. Because I, then I just feel like you're well, not going to be able to match the people who are specializing in those formats. Oh, oh, for But there sure. is definitely something that's, to be said for like dabbling some and like, you know, learning formats, learning how to play games a bit. And like, yeah, and getting a feel for what you like, what you don't like. And and yeah, I agree with what you said, too, that you can learn some things about other formats. Like, you know, I can learn some cool things about No Limit by studying PLO, for example. Um, yeah, yeah. Um... I agree with that. Uh, you don't want to study too, too much. You just want to like look around a little bit is what I think. I uh, don't want to like be half-assed 100%. You have to really be all in when you're doing these things. I'm kind of learning this the hard, hard way with some real life endeavors. Like, oh shit, I like really put myself in like trying to run a podcast and also create a Discord. It's, it's quite hard. Um, and requires like a lot of time at minimum. Um, it might just like be super hard anyway. But uh, on top of other things too, I, I still play poker, but that, uh, you know, once you master one thing, then you can like do other things in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of which, what else have you got going on these days? You said you play tennis. What else? Have you been doing anything besides poker and starting family? Um, well, yeah, the family is a big one. I mean, you know, I uh, yeah, my daughter is almost four now, so certainly spend plenty of time with them just like you know being a husband and a dad it's, it's cool but yeah it's definitely made me uh, appreciate the value of time a lot more like I feel like when I was like young and single I just kind of wouldn't you know kind of do whatever with my time and not really like think about it too much um but yeah being a having a family puts that in perspective a lot more I would say um but yeah other than that, you know I'm doing poker I'm still uh, making training videos for run at once um i just also just did a lecture for a uh, pocket queens last week that turned out pretty pretty well i thought um got some good feedback there um yeah tennis is just you know recreational activity um and yeah what else i mean those things take up a lot of time <laughs> um no so you're most are you focusing more on the learning aspect of poker um is there any particular reason why you chose pocket queens to work with um, so Pocket Queens, for those who aren't familiar, is it's like a group of women in poker who are basically, yeah, basically a group to get together, study together, learn together, um, just and just connect. And every week they have a guest lecturer come in and 
deliver a lecture on a topic. So yeah, last week I did like a, a lecture that turned out to be about an hour and 20 minutes on uh, three bet pots and cash games. Uh, I know a lot of their previous lectures had been on tournament topics. So I just wanted to throw something different in there. And, uh, but yeah, pretty cool group that they were like, it was like a zoom call with, uh, I think there were like maybe five or six women who participated, like asking questions and stuff. It, it was cool. Nice. Well, I think it's great that they're, uh, the girls or women are coming together and making community. I mean, that's something that hopefully will bring more of them to the poker world. Um, I've been trying to corral a few myself. <laughs> um, so tell us something about three red pots. What's the key to winning in three red pots, Brian? Um, well, I would just say from, from, from myself, I, I, I mean, when I went back and like, you know, analyzed my own game, I realized I was playing a bit too weak, too weak in three bet pots, like, you know, facing a three bet, just not, not playing tough enough, both in terms of not enough four bet bluffing and not enough calling with certain like kind of marginal hands that I was making a little bit too tight folds, but, and then also post flop, I mean, post flops, obviously very nuanced. There's a billion different boards and stuff, but yeah, just, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot, there's a lot to learn about just like, you know, defending your range properly in various spots and which, which hands we turn into bluffs on different runouts and, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of nuance there, and certainly I'm still learning, but I feel like I've learned a lot in the last few months. What's the biggest mistake you see people make? Um, I think the, I mean, playing playing too weak is a big one. Just yeah, just like against three bets, like not having enough four bet bluffs and such. Um, oh, really? I think that that's a big one. Okay, I think I, I think that's not universally true, by the something. way. But there, are, like, I mean, there. Are, to be clear, like, there are plenty of you know, good regs who do have enough, but there are also plenty of regulars who I think do not have enough four bet bluffs or and do not play tough enough against three bets. Oh, sure. By the way, um, in my opinion, nine four offsuit gets into the four range every now and then. <laughs> Is um, that your favorite I, hand? I, I, four, um, I just like I bluffed it recently <laughs> of like uh, a few players um, just to like try it. I just thought it might work. Uh, <laughs> On one of the streams, flop two pair, obviously, that was the brilliant part. <laughs> oh, that was the pretty skill sick. part. I didn't, I didn't see that one. I'll, I'll send me a link to the hand later. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will say that um, uh, if your image is really good and ring, then you can sometimes get away with. Uh, there's a lot of times where I think to myself, man, if this is person just like, four bet with any hand and just blast it off i would probably fold an enormous percent of the time there's a decent amount of players like that that i think uh fall into that category particularly if they have a very nitty image um it's just like yeah it doesn't happen that that much i would say it's very rare and it's like hard to have it's just uh it's hard to have aces in those spots or hard to have anything in a lot of those spots to be honest it's hard to have like a set or anything else to call you have to have like aces or kings i guess to call some people fold kings and four pots and i'm just thinking said anything like what do yeah you like call if it's it? an opponent um, who like their value range is like aces plus <laughs> or, you know aces are a set basically and like and then yeah so they can in theory get away with one time just bluffing anything kind of like if you don't see it coming yeah, there's a lot of that weird adjustment game, especially in live poker, where like, a lot, yeah, a lot of people just aren't playing like balanced at all. So there's, mm -hmm. yeah, certain players who you would not expect a three bet or four bet bluff to be coming from. So they could, and, and because of that, they could really get away with a lot if they, you know, change their mindset. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us more about the, uh, the family life. Uh, how's that? Uh, 
How's that going? It seems to be very important for you these days. You seem to be very, it seems to be something you like really heavily, um, know that uh, your emotions are heavily involved in, that you're in that your emotions are heavily involved in that you're, um, you just really appreciate from talking to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, coming up on my fifth wedding anniversary in December and my daughter is about to be four in January. So she was actually born right in, you know, January of 2020, like right before COVID. So that was interesting. It's in terms of like, you know, raising her early while, you know, a lot of things were locked down couldn't really go do a whole lot. Luckily with little kids like that, I mean, going to the park is like a great, great, uh, way to do that or just, you know, taking a walk. But yeah, I mean, they're huge. Like I, certainly spend a lot of time and a lot of my energy right now is just kind of like focus on finding the best balance between family and my poker career. So yeah, it's kind of like a daily thing, but luckily my wife Sonia is very supportive with it all. And, um, I was actually going to say, uh, you actually read my mind a little bit. I was thinking, uh, has balance always been something that came naturally to you because you said you were obsessed in the beginning, uh, and I mean, now it seems much more relevant and it has to be a bit because you have family, you can't just like neglect your kid. Uh, or is it something that you grew into? Um, so I think the one other time that I really had to like consciously make a big effort to balance was in college because I did mm -hmm. graduate actually. Um, yeah, degree in economics. Um, and yeah, that coursework took up a decent amount of time. So like balancing that and poker and my social life in college was interesting and had to be intentional about that. Um, so certainly it helped though that like poker was just generally going really well. And, you know, I didn't like need to make money right now at that moment or anything. And, um, you know, I was able to just kind of more like part-time poker to do that. Um, yeah. So now, but yeah, like now it's like, you know, poker is still my, my full-time job and I have a family and I'm supporting them. So yeah balancing this is, can be challenging. And, um, you know, it's kind of every day I'm kind of trying to best think about how to optimize for that, I guess. And, um, yeah, just do it, you know, because I know I, like I have memories of like growing up, like, uh, my dad would always tell me that he regretted not spending time more time with me when I was young. And I mean, from my perspective, it seemed like he was spending a lot of time with me and it was, nothing was wrong, but like, he's, I just can, you know, hearing that regret from him, I just don't want to have the same regret later. So I want to make sure like, I'm spending enough time with my young daughter, you know, before she's like, you know, I'm not cool enough for her and she just wants to hang out with her friends anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that playing poker is a pretty cool job and going to playboy parties. I guess that's not something girls appreciate <laughs> to looking at their dad. Uh, maybe not dad, maybe like son or something. I did not graduate, by the way. I dropped out of college. I had to take game theory a third time in order to graduate <laughs> or take or switch majors Wait, you, you, failed game, you failed game theory twice yes i did wait how? So it makes did a great like... story at least huh <laughs> yeah wait how, like how like i would just think you'd be really good at that intuitively but like maybe you just weren't going to class or something i was not going to class uh yeah, okay sure <laughs> i mean it's very different in the actual class it was more computer science oriented i do remember some specific mm -hmm. principles that apply like the idea of um something being recursive uh, and these ideas of like proving games, for example, that work, um, some concepts applied, but the idea of recursively doing something over and over to its conclusion uh, applies far beyond poker. You can just look at like what the what's inevitable in the way that the world works uh, because of what people 
or what just things happen over and over essentially. But same thing with poker, like you get to game theory by recursively playing exploitative. But if you and another player recursively play, mm-hmm. try to exploit each other, that's when game theory is, re- uh, is reached mm-hmm. or game theory optimal is reached, excuse me. Um, as an example, um, are you using your agree- degree for anything? Are you proud you got your degree? Um, I'm not really using it for anything, but yeah, I'm proud I got it. I took a lot of cool classes in college. I like, you know, I think I, the social experience was valuable for me. Like, I, I mean, as a result of like obsessing over poker so much as a late teenager, I think I like needed some social development and college was helpful for that. So, um, yeah, I mean, no regrets. All right. And I mean, uh, and also like, it's, it's not like I would rule out ever using it, but like, yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't know, you know, who would care that I have a 15 year old degree really, but maybe they would. I, 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 I mean, I don't know uh, if I got my computer science degree, I don't even, I don't think I'd program anyway. I would just, I mean, I studied economics too. I didn't really use it. I learned about utilitarian theory later, all this stuff. It actually kind of applies with poker logic. The utilitarianism would be like applying poker logic to overall happiness. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it really works for a variety of reasons, but some of its ideas are good. Yeah. If it, you're uh, at all familiar. I'm not super familiar with utilitarian theory, but I mean, maybe I, a bit. It's just, it's just trying to maximize happiness in this just like mathematical way. Um, it's as if like, okay, you just like look at, okay, you've got like X people. How are we going to maximize their happiness? Um, mm-hmm. There's some problems with it, basically, uh, but that's that's it in a nutshell. I think it's the, I'm not like a um, ethics. Uh, yeah, that seems really challenging re- relating to happiness. Like, certainly did lots of that stuff in college relating to just like you know profit maximizing or like stuff like that with like either either you know within a household or businesses or whatever. But like, yeah, maximizing happiness in an equation form seems challenging to me. Yeah, I mean, one thing that became a bit of a challenge in a way was I personally, while I was doing poker, it occurred to me, okay, well, if I look at poker as purely something where I'm just going to make it as a living, it becomes a bit of a treadmill, a hedonic treadmill of sorts. Um, Not a hedonic one, but a treadmill, a rat race of sorts, uh, but Mm -hmm. a limited one. Uh, And at some point, my my idea for like, okay, I could make, uh, I could associate my career with how much money I can make shifted from I could associate with how much impact I can make. And it's actually seemed like a more appropriate way of looking at things just because mm-hmm. the impact lasts longer. Um, and seems like a much more interesting game, you can say, uh, but a much bigger game, much more difficult game in many ways. Uh, I don't know if yeah, you had yeah, any absolutely. feelings like that. Yeah, I mean, certainly over the years, I've done my fair share of just like thinking about how I can make the most impact and just, you know, identifying organizations that I believe in and like donating money and in some cases time to them. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely believe in general on trying to make the biggest impact we can. Um, Yeah, I think in the last few years, again, with a family, like I think I've been largely focused on that, just making sure I'm like doing the best I can for them. But, Mm -hmm. but, But, you know, I'm still always trying to do the best I can in the world as well. Awesome. Which causes do you like the most? What's your, what are your favorite causes or favorite ways to make an impact? Um, some, yeah, some I've uh, done a bunch with in the past. Uh, have you ever done Kiva? It's a micro lending organization. Yeah, they basically do a bunch of micro loans to like people trying to, you know, run businesses in poor countries. Oh, and, oh you know yeah. what? I had that same idea. Damn it. 
Um, but uh, that's cool. <laughs> keep, Shit, keep maybe I should check it out. Maybe, maybe they'll bring you on as a partner. Um, I, I actually should look that up. Shit, I'm going to take a note. I'm going to text it to you. Give me a second. Um, I mean, yeah. I think uh, Doctors Without Borders is a great organization too. And it's yeah, certainly doing some valuable work now and many times. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. getting people's health to a certain baseline, I think it's really important. I know also your... Uh, mental health is an is an area that you're interested in. Um, would you like to extrapolate on that? Um, yeah, I mean, so I would say even dating dating before Black Friday, you know, Black Friday for the younger out there was uh, when the U.S. poker sites shut down in 2011. Um, but basically, yeah, I've always kind of had some mental health episodes, like mostly mostly what I felt was depression up to that time. Um, Later, I realized what I actually had was uh, bipolar with some alternating depressive and hypomanic episodes. And certainly, I think Black Friday was a big trigger of that for me. And I think, yeah, I mean, I had a major depressive episode a few months after and kind of just like oscillating back and forth mental health for the next few years. So, um, yeah, it took a while for me to really get it under control. Luckily, I've been doing a lot better with that in the last few years. But certainly, I think mental health is a serious thing that is undertreated in many people. And I think there's still a big stigma amongst many people that, you know, just to tough it out and like, you know, like just, you know, deal with it. And yeah, again, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people could benefit by just, you know, being more open and honest about their feelings and also understanding of others, because I think in a lot of cases, the problem is that people don't feel like they can open up because they won't be um, taken, you know, seriously enough or whatever. But I, but I do think in my case, once I started opening up about it, it was a big breakthrough for me because I was, you know, really surprised to hear how many other people had similar stories to me once I started opening up. Yeah, uh, related relating to that, um, this whole idea of just like, there's this common mentality that I see a lot of the time that I think is overdone. I think there's a lot of validity to it. Um, but I think the real solution is a bit different. Um, but it's this mentality of, 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 as you said, just get over it, just man up. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas uh, I don't see how it's going to work for most people. Um, I could see how there's got to be some point where the other people have to, you know, step up. They have to actually take the effort. But yeah. when a huge class of people is failing, you know, yelling man up, it's not going to do anything in the case of mental health like there's usually reasons why people feel these kinds of ways and as you said they can't open up so that can contribute to their mental health problems and it also i mean i'm not a big mental health expert but i know that i know the reasons why i was having mental health issues i mean i've had you know a handful of mental health issues myself i was depressed as when i was 17 i wasn't really a secret why i was just like i didn't know where the my, my life was going and, uh, you know, like I didn't, uh, like I was horny and wanted to talk to girls. I couldn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what the hell to do. And, uh, you know, I didn't have that many friends and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's some real reasons. It wasn't like, oh, just go man up. Uh, right. <laughs> and I mean, people might have similar kinds of things, especially these days, uh, reasons for why, uh, they might be feeling that way. I mean, I'm not the uh, people probably have different reasons as well. Um, but uh, I definitely think there's a lot more value. There's value in the man up I, um, philosophy, especially from the individual individual perspective, from one's own perspective. Like the like if we were to look at it from like 
uh, you know, looking at you or looking at me or thinking to ourselves, okay, we just got to deal with this somehow. Your only option is man up. But looking at it from the outside, it makes a lot of sense to find ways of making the situation easier to deal with. Um, and that would help on a broader scale than just screaming man up. It's pretty poor strategy in my opinion. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And I want to know how you got out of it. Yeah. So yeah, I think he makes a good points there. So yeah, I think with like man up, like you're definitely right. That like to some extent, yeah, it is like on you ultimately to like, you know, fix your own mental health. But I also think that, you know, yeah, I mean, just like the whole, like that whole dialogue, like man up can just lead someone to, to like think that they're not good enough. Like, you know, just, just feel like they're, you know, there's something wrong with them. And like, you know, like I know in my case, I just, yeah, like I was very secretive. Like I, I felt ashamed to like really open up about it for it's like a long time, really with most people. And yeah, I just, I just kind of felt like I wasn't good enough. And, and it, it was a lot of the same for me too. Like socially, like I was like, yeah, I think I was like kind of socially underdeveloped and yeah, like, again, like I wanted to, you know, get girls and stuff and like my friends were all doing it and I just like, you know, it just wasn't happening for me. Yeah, and I had that too. It's like it's the most um, depressing thing when yeah. your friends are all talking about, Oh yeah. Like hooked up with this girl at this party and you'd, they'd go around and you're like, Oh wait, what the I'm not having these experiences. That I remember right. very specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, especially, like I said, like my friends in high school were like jocks for the most part. So yeah, like they were all, you know, they all had like girlfriends and were dating and stuff. And like, I, yeah, it just wasn't happening for me. And yeah. I, and, and just socially, it wasn't like just that it was like, yeah, just socially too. Like I didn't feel like confident, like communicating really like, it's not like I didn't talk at all, but like I was on the quieter side for sure. And yeah, I just didn't feel confident. And yeah, that really ate at me. And, you know, when I started to have success at poker, that was at least like something that I think I'd say helped. Like, you know, it made people be like, oh, wow, Brian, that's so cool that you're doing this. But like, and, you know, maybe got me a little bit more attention. But like, at the end of the day, it was just kind of like, you know, it still, it still felt kind of empty at that point to me. Like, because I wasn't, you know, because I wasn't achieving in other areas that I wanted to. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so, okay. So relating back to just like general mental health and like how to, how to help people. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I know for me, like a therapy has helped me in an enormous amount and I'm a huge advocate of that for sure. Like I've, I've had the same therapist now for about a decade. And I mean, at this point I'm more doing like a once every month or two thing cause I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but I still think regular therapy is a great thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's helped me a huge amount. And also, I mean, uh, you know, certain medications have helped me a lot too. In my case with this bipolar thing, uh, lithium has been huge for me, but obviously every, everybody's different. Before that, I tried a number of other different, um, you know, drugs of various sorts like SSRIs um, and maybe, yeah, I guess mostly that. Um, nothing was really working. So, but yeah, so I tried lithium, I think for the first time like six years ago and that was a huge catalyst to improving. Also, just my wife is very understanding and supportive. That's been helpful a lot as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think therapy could certainly work. Uh, I could, I, one thing about therapy that I know for a fact is that the therapists do not necessarily do anything positive. It depends. You have to have a good one, is my understanding. Um, True. For the people listening out there, actually, they should try a bunch of therapists and see which one feels right and go with that. I mean, that seems to be quite important. Um, that's just about roughly all I know. Um, they're not, I can't give, uh, I'm not licensed to give actual advice. That's just roughly what I know. 
um, from people who have dealt with these sorts of things. I never really had a thing. No, I did actually when I was a little kid. Um, but I don't know how much it helped me. Uh, what really did help me, in fact, was poker. But this would be the version of, and I guess this is what would happen um, for many of the people that would get out of it, is the version of, okay, we made it easier. Now there's, there's something going on. Um, and, you know, that is if you have a success at poker. That's one way of uh, making the situation of, whatever else is going on in your life a lot easier. Like, you know, the question of not good enough, like, Oh, there's something that makes you a little bit better. Um, and, uh, I will say that pretty much all my, um, depression, a lot of my depressive feelings I remember specifically was the feeling of not being good enough. I think people, um, also do this thing where they, you know, they try to help, I remember specifically there's like spiritual teacher, not teacher, but like singer that would, you know, you know, he felt bad for these people and he wanted to sing a song. You're enough. You're enough. Say it over and over. But um, my thinking was, how is this going to change how people feel? Uh, it is a very difficult situation um, problem to solve, uh, partly because society effectively screams to people you know, with, I mean, scream is, is one way to put it, but it basically says in all kinds of different ways that aren't necessarily literal, you're not enough a lot of the time to many of these, you know, guys who are younger, especially. Um, and <laughs> I mean, it's very, very hard to not resist that because basically you have to say, you, yeah, I am. And uh, decide, okay, well, I'm going to do things where I am. You have to be almost delusional in certain ways to uh, overcome that or find some kind of outlets to feel that way. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, mean, I was just thinking like, it's really tough today, especially with like social media, like all these, you know, these teenagers are growing up with like Instagram and stuff. And like, there's just so many ways to like feel bad about yourself by like, you know, <laughs> going through that experience. Um, yeah. I was just, but I was also going to say, like, I think another thing too, is just like, you know, whatever is making you feel like you're not good enough. I think it's important to like really work on that too. Like make it, you know, sh like make progress so you can feel better about it. Like, so in, like, you know, my, in your case, like if we're struggling to like, you know, get girls, like, you know, find something that we could get a little bit better at, like, you know, talking or, you know, just more, you know, do things to get out of our comfort zone, just like, you know, work, work on it. Just, you know, I'm a big believer in like kind of the growth mindset of just like making like little small progress, like, you know, try to get 1% better every day, at like whatever you're trying to get better at, and, you know, uh, don't be too hard on yourself in the process. There's more to it than that. Um, that problem specifically is a little bit complicated, but one thing that comes to mind that I strongly recommend, I, I actually think I should do more of it. Uh, that was the most beneficial for me was improv. Improv was like quite cheap. Mm. And um, definitely get you more like a spontaneous way of thinking. Um, I will say like, yeah, if like a guy doesn't, they'd also have to have a social circle too. Um, for, I mean, a social circle would solve a lot of problems at once. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you're basically right. I would think like there's not really a whole lot else to, to, to say about it um or find some kind of like hobby to really invest in poker being one of them where you gain something that speaks to you uh i would so just put it uh you know for playing devil's advocate of sorts here 
you know, the, a lot of the people growing up, you know, they look at people with kind of everything all the time, which is super annoying, right? Like that's actually one of the biggest reasons for, um, uh, what's the word? Violence is precisely this uh, disparity in classes that you're you're visiting. It's like if everyone's already all low class, it doesn't change anything, right? Or everyone has you know kind of in the in a poor situation, it doesn't change anything. But if you're constantly witnessing people that are rich, it's actually and they're next to them, they're neighbors. This is actually um, like statistically one of the biggest clashes. It's why in like South Africa, there's, or one of the reasons why I don't want to like speak to, I don't know a ton of information about it, but it's one of the reasons why in many different cultures, you see a lot of violence and all that. Actually, there's in fact, anecdotally, um, I have mostly only had problems in the biggest cities, the mainstream cities that I went to, uh, Los Angeles, New York, um, London, um, and that's it for actual crime. I didn't really face any crime problems anywhere else in the world is the funny thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's also because people's value systems are really up these days. There's not really a whole lot to do about that on a small scale. Um, actually, I want to say I did create a solution of sorts, uh, which is why I'm building the poker community to, um, because communities are an answer of that. So you no longer feel the pressures of social media and all of that uh, while you know dealing with, you don't, while just dealing with life. You deal with them less because you deal with the community. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that social comparison stuff is, is definitely real. Yeah, I remember uh, something in a psych class where like basically people would rather li- like make 50K a year and live in a place where their neighbors are making 50 K in a year, then make like 75 K a year, but their neighbors are making like a hundred. It was, it was something of that nature, but like, basically it's all about like, it's it something about all, all like relative matters, like way more to our psyche than like absolute wealth. So yeah, like you said, if you're like living in a place where like everybody else has more than you, like that can breed, you know, hostility or just like rage, whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on with, in terms of like these large cities and stuff, there's a lot going on in terms of like, why crime exists and why there's more crime, or if there is even more crime, I think in a lot of cases it's just more, more visible. But there's not necessarily even more in all cases. But yeah, I mean, certainly there are places where the cost of living is relatively high, and then there's a lot of people all over the income spectrum, and some have very little, some have a lot. So that can breed some of it. Yeah. All right. So are you going to do anything about this health, mental health stuff, or have you? Ooh, like in, in terms of like starting a support group or something of that nature. Um, well, just good. I mean, it, I mean, if you're doing something cool if you're not. I mean, it's an interesting idea. Like, I mean, I've certainly tried to like make it a point to be like open about it, just like you know, whether on social media or like a, a platform like this, and just yeah. I mean, certainly always available if anybody wants to talk about mental health. I would, you know, I'd say talking to a professional is probably a better idea, but. Um, I am someone who's, you know, experienced some mental health stuff and um, feel like I have some insight to offer anyway. But uh, yeah, I think generally just, you know, communities and just, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of, yeah, working through your problems. But I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different approaches that need to be taken. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think I know for me, I just want to stress again that like opening up was huge for me. And I did not could not have realized before that, like just how many people are going through similar stuff. So I think if nothing else, just like, you know, trying to share whatever is plaguing you inside. Because I know for me, like once I, you know, it was it was very freeing once I like, you know, didn't just hold it in anymore and started being willing, being, you know, being vulnerable and being willing to, to share. And, you know, at the moment, it felt really embarrassing, I guess, but it, it was actually really you know, kind of vindicating and just made me feel a whole lot better. That makes a lot of sense. I, I would say that the right time as well, the the right time it's appropriate to vulner, be vulnerable. There's lots of bad times to be vulnerable, by the way. Mm, sure. um, like at a party, for example, is not a good time to be vulnerable. <laughs> uh, but yeah. it's kind of like putting like a check raise in. Like sometimes putting in a check raise is like really the moment. But if you don't do it, uh, it can really hurt your game. In this case, your mental health game. Um, so a vulnerable check raise is what I'm suggesting. I definitely do feel that in poker. Like there's definitely some spots where I just like, you know, I feel like I don't want to like make a, some kind of like big bluff shove or something, but I'm just like, okay, if I, if I don't do this, like, you know, it's, it's just because I whipped out, like there's no, there's no good excuse for not doing this. And, you know, I do it and I think it's right. <laughs> I mean, in general, I think it's the right play when I decide to just like suck it up and do it in those spots. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that uh, pulling the trigger probably is overall beneficial trade, even if you get every once in a while. No one yeah. really cares. Uh, it doesn't really matter the long run. Yeah, sometimes it actually matters more out, if it does work. But, right, yeah, it's not going to work every time. But, but like, yeah, I think overall, you know, if you feel like it's the right thing to do, ultimately, I mean, granted, you know, you know in poker, this t- takes time to train your, your gut and whatnot. But, yeah, <laughs> in general, I think lis- listening to intuition is good and just and and just the knowledge you have as well because a lot of those times it's that for me where like you know i know the theory says i should bluff a spot i really don't want to because i feel like this guy's not going to fold but you know just gotta suck it up and do it sometimes yeah yeah um it makes a lot of sense um i do want to uh a thought comes to mind about this idea of being vulnerable because a lot of women say oh they want a guy that's vulnerable and all this bullshit i mean uh so I don't even know if I've had this problem precisely, but uh, I, a friend of mine who has decades of experience with this with, and women, uh, you know, would like strongly advocate like not being particularly vulnerable unless it's like the right time. Like he would have this story of how telling this girl like how his like dog died, and it's just she, I was just just like, what the f- why is this guy telling me this right now? <laughs> and then they ended up like screwing him over, and he like didn't see her again. And he's like, why did I do that? Um, so I do want to like mention, you want to pick your spots to be vulnerable, not at a party, not the first time you're on a date, uh, where else? Um, not, not, uh, probably not at the poker table, you know, in front of everybody. I mean, that's not the worst, I guess, in some spots. Uh, yeah. Yeah. More like in private. Yeah, it definitely depends one on who. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm more more talking about like one on one conversations, and yeah, I think there's certainly like you said, like yeah, maybe like the first date isn't a spot to spill a certain like major life secret or something, but uh, it can be, it can be, it it's can just be. more like it can be. It's more on the nature of the conversation. I mean, it's yeah, it's not really something you want to jump into. Don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you though. It's more complicated than things. just like opening up about any, everything all the time. Like it still, you know, takes, you know, judging the situation and, you know, deciding on using your best instinct on like what the best time is to share a thing like, you know, a vulnerable thing. Yeah. Well, um, 
Any last uh, thoughts or anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap this up? Um, no, I, I had a lot of fun coming on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I make training videos on uh, Run It Once, and I yeah, just you know, enjoying the family and poker life. And I'll see some of you at the tables hopefully soon. All right, uh, sweet. And by the way, you said you make videos on Run It Once, right? Yes. All right, sweet. So do I. So run it once, guys. Check out Run It Once. Yeah, we use one of our affiliate codes. If you watch this um, this thing, make us a little money, maybe we'll give you some back also. Yeah.